I need me some worship. <laughs> uh, I'm going to explain that in just a moment and what was the kind of motivation <laughs> behind uh, all of that. And that is taken from Psalms 100. And this morning we're going to take a look at Psalms 100 in particular. And Psalms 100 is generally understood and recognized as a call to worship. And it's the concept, the idea behind to worship and to magnify God. And then we'll talk a little bit about what worship is and then why we worship. Psalms 100 and verse 1 in the New International Version, shout for joy to the Lord. New American Standard, shout joyfully to the Lord. The New King, New King James Version, joyfully shout to the Lord. Do you know what that means in the original Hebrew? Shout to the Lord. <laughs> Pretty simple statement, isn't it? But what we need to do is to understand what the psalmist is saying. Shout before the Lord. I want to share with you a couple thoughts because while all of this, this coronavirus thing has been going on and uh, talked with a lot of folks, uh, preachers from other areas, people from different congregations and so forth. And I'm going to share you a couple of thoughts with people that I've talked to from other areas, other states and so forth, and then some from here. <laughs> and some of the things that have been said is, and this, this was a concern that was expressed to me. And, and this fellow said, I'm concerned that since we've been apart for a while, I'm afraid that some won't come back. And that's, that's true. That's a concern. That is a legitimate concern. And I think we're all aware of that. And then some have expressed concerns about, as Brian mentioned this morning, virtual worship, live streaming worship, and all those kinds of things. And those are things that local congregations need to talk about and to understand. And it was dropped on us. And so sometimes, I want to suggest to you, I'm not saying that this is all positive, but sometimes it's kind of like the Lord goes, wake up. <laughs> and I want you to think about worship because you've kind of gotten into a pattern of just going through it and we get to thinking, it was here last Sunday, it's here this Sunday, it'll be here next Sunday. And then he's like, no, it can be taken away. And Brian mentioned, I'm not going to go into details on this, but Brian mentioned something this morning about certain rights being taken away from you. That Constitution also says, and our founding fathers, I believe, understood this, and one of these days we'll talk about just this statement. Inalienable, if I could say it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Inalienable rights. And do you know where those rights come from? They are neither given to you or taken from you by any earthly government. Those are given to you by God. Will government ever try to take them? Yeah, they will. That's not my lesson this morning. <laughs> That'll be for another time. And I think in consideration of all of this, different brethren have done different things. We have done different things and so forth. And, and that's all to be considered. How we should meet, how we shouldn't meet, what I should take into consideration. That's not this lesson this morning. I'm just mentioning those rights that 
the founding fathers understood there are certain ones that are coming that came to us from God. They didn't come from government, and we need to understand that. But also, some have said, if you want to get arrested, I'm not going to tell you who this is. It came from here. <laughs> I'll get arrested with you. Let's don't tell anybody, okay, or smart up. <laughs> and then I'll tell you this my wife said if you get arrested just go peacefully okay <laughs> I don't want to see you on the news and it's like oh yeah that's the preacher at Platte City <laughs> that kind of thing but then I received this in a text from somebody here after we had been gone for a while and the text said, I need me some worship. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that. Someone told me last week that was visiting that when they told their kids it was time for them to worship. And then they said, we're going to a building. And then the kids were like, <laughs> really? <laughs> All of a sudden there's this, there's this excitement. So really, I want us to talk about that this morning. That concept, that motivation that the psalmist is talking about in Psalms 100. And I want us to think about, and now, if there's a positive, maybe there's a positive out of this. Because someone else from this congregation also told me in an email, you know, I used to kind of take it for granted and sometimes I would just go through the motions and I would just have to say, sorry, me too, sometimes. Because it's there and it's always there. And so sometimes we just kind of take it for granted. And maybe sometimes we need to be reminded how, how precious it is, how valuable it is that we can come together as children of God and worship Him and encourage one another. Psalms 100 and verses 1 through 5. I want to read it again. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures to all generations make a joyful shout shout as you come before the Lord one of the things I want us to recognize as we take a look at this because sometimes I think what we have a tendency to do is when he says shout then we think well we're going to make some joyful noise we're going to sing together that's not what this psalmist is talking about <laughs> what this psalmist is talking about is he says I want you to shout before the Lord, before the singing ever starts, I want you to shout. Think about that for just a moment. Let's suppose you're living under this time frame instead of this one. It has come to that time of year when you need to make the journey to Jerusalem. And so you get your family together 
and you get your sacrifice together and you travel this 100 or 200 or 300 miles, whatever it might be. Actually, 300 might be a little bit of a stretch because Canaan wasn't. <laughs> so if you travel 100 or more miles, that's a journey. That's some work to get there. And along the way, the kids may be saying, are we there yet? <laughs> and you've got that poor animal and you're dragging them along and it's like, they need, I need some water. <laughs> but pretty soon, you're approaching. And Jerusalem was elevated. And the temple you could see from a distance. Have you ever been on a road trip and there's times in the car when people are falling asleep and then you've tried to play soft music so the kids would go to sleep and then finally it's like you're getting close and everybody wakes up and everybody's happy and it's like you want to shout. That's what the psalmist is talking about. You haven't even made it to the temple yet. But in anticipation, you shout you know, as I was thinking about this, and not that I've ever experienced this that many times, but I've been to a Chiefs game once or twice. <laughs> and right at the end of the national anthem, just about the time they say the home of the, and then there's a lot of folks wanting to yell Chiefs instead of Braves. But at the conclusion, a lot of times there's just a shout. There's just a roar. And that's before <laughs> the kickoff or anything that the Chiefs do, or before anybody ever starts going this together, you know, doing that chant thing together. This is the shout before it even ever begins. It's anticipation. It's enthusiasm. It's excitement. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Shout before the Lord. In verse 2, he says, Serve the Lord with gladness. As you take a look at this psalm, there's kind of four action words there that kind of help you to grasp what's contained there. And he says, shout. And then he says, serve. And he says, no. And he says, enter. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Once again, I want you to kind of get in mind what the psalmist is saying. Come before him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful singing. See, they're already singing as they enter in through those gates. See, a lot of times in this modern day kind of setting tradition that we have is we come together, somebody else picks the songs and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But once again, that's not, that's not what the psalmist is saying. See, what the psalmist is saying is you enter in with singing. So let me ask you this question. If you got to pick the songs this morning, what song would you pick? Were you thinking about a song as you were coming here? 
Are you being prepared? Are you getting prepared mentally yourself? Because although I agree 100%, we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a minute about what Brian said this morning about this collectivity, this gathering, the church, and so forth. What that is in essence when you break it down is Brian has come here to worship. I have come here to worship. My wife has come here to worship. You have come here to worship. John has come here to worship. See that? Cameron has come here to worship. And then we get here because you have prepared. Because you have come to worship. Now we've come together to worship. (laughs) I'm going to worship with you because I'm here to worship. You're going to worship with me because you're here to worship. And so it was you, before you ever got here shouting, it was you thinking about singing. It was you being mentally prepared. And then we come in here and collectively we worship together. Psalm 69 and verse 30 says, I will praise the name of God with song and I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know, as I was preparing for this, I read from one writer, and he said, there are two kinds of Christians. He said, there are the microscope Christians, and there are the telescope Christians. And then he went on to explain it like this. He said, microscopes are instruments that we use or that are used to make very small things look big. That's a microscope. A telescope helps you to see actually how big something is. It's already big. It just helps you to see how big it is. David says, I will magnify. I want to make God look just as big as He is. I don't want to take a small God and try to convince you, con you into thinking this is a big God. I want you to help you see how big God is. That's what David said. I will glorify. I will magnify my life. My worship will show how big God is. Let me share this illustration with you. There was uh, a young lady who at school and around her friends and so forth was always talking about God. Was always talking about church. And she had this friend that didn't attend any place and she kept encouraging come over and show us. And her friend, you know, kind of kept putting it off. Until one Sunday morning her friend decided I'm a, I'm a surpriser. I'm just going to go there this morning. And so she did. 
And worship was about to get, begin, and she walked in, and she looked around, and she, she didn't see her. And so she waited for a little bit, and it was about to begin, so she went ahead and had a seat, but she never did find her friend. And so then afterwards, after it was over, there were some that said to her, Hi, you know, it's like, you know meet you, greet you, <laughs> type thing. And then she said, uh, Actually, I was looking for so-and-so. And they kind of looked at each other. And then one of them finally said, Oh, oh yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. But she doesn't come here very often. Now let me ask you. Did that girl just make God look small? See, sometimes people try to make God look big in their life. And they may talk. And it's good to praise God. But it's like this, as somebody else said. Sometimes people go to worship, and this happens a lot in society today. And people try to get all excited. Because that's really what their worship is all about. Try to stir up this emotional response and get excited. And some people even jump up and down. But this writer said, during worship, it's not how high you jump when you worship, but it's how straight you walk when you come down. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth to that. Does it match up? And so David says, I want to magnify God. And the psalmist says, come before him with shouting. Come before him with joyful song. That's you, individual, have come to collectively worship. That was point number one. <laughs> Seems like I'm always running one slide behind, so I'm going to jump ahead now. What is worship? And I think we need to kind of pause and give consideration to, because once again, we kind of get into this pattern and do things and, and stop and think about, well, well, what is worship? John 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, one well-known Christian writer said, this is kind of a paraphrase of his statement. He said, oftentimes people do not have a biblical understanding of worship. And then he went on to say this, and I found this kind of interesting. He said, we have become a generation of people who worship our work. We work at our play. And then we play at worship. Think there's any truth to that? Do we take it as seriously? See, Jesus said we should worship in spirit and in truth. One other person said, sometimes people come to church because it's Sunday. He said, we ought to be coming to worship on Sunday. There's an emphasis change there. If 
finally the day has arrived. I've been wanting to, I'm ready to, I'm going to worship. It's finally Sunday. Instead of, oh, oh, Sunday's here. (laughs) I guess I should probably go to worship. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, in verse 8, Jesus says, These people honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, to apply that in a modern day setting, I want to say this Worship is not an event that we attend. And in a modern day setting, A lot of times, that's what it is. There is a worship event that is going to take place over here at that certain location, and so I'm going to go and watch (laughs) and see what they offer and see what it does for me. And so oftentimes, they've become events that people attend. And in that sense, keeping that in mind, worship, or let me say it this way, music is not worship. Now let me clarify, because <laughs> a lot of people are just, well, what? <laughs> Some have turned music into worship. This is what's going to happen this morning. This is going to be the focus. This is going to be the main attraction, so to speak. Music is a part of, it is an act of worship. I'll clarify that a little bit more as we go along. Music all by itself is not worship. See, just going through certain acts all by themselves is not worship. That's what Jesus is saying. This people honors me with their lips. They may have done the right thing. They may have gone through the right motion. But he said, they didn't worship me. (laughs) They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You think that can happen? It does happen. Paul, and once again, the purpose of this lesson this morning is not to just itemize these things, but Paul certainly lets us know that music, singing, is a part of worship. But keep this in mind, and I hope I'm making this distinction. Worship, or I mean, sorry, let me start over. Music, singing, is an act of of worship. That's what the psalmist is talking about. It's that motivation behind that. I sing because I worship Him. So to make the clarification also, worship is not a performance. And I, over the years, working at General Motors... (laughs) used to talk to various people that would attend various places and there's one specific place I could name it I know you would know it (laughs) that is 
just east of here. And they used to tell me about the worshiping and how enjoyable it was. And I really got the feeling what they were saying was how entertaining it was. And they draw large crowds. And so sometimes people look at worship as a performance. How was the music? How was the speaker? <laughs> if he's not up to par, I'm out of here. <laughs> and so it's graded by those who are sitting in attendance and they graded. Was that a good worship <laughs> or not so good? Do you see the difference? Who came here to worship? Not to be critical. <laughs> like Brian said. Not to be critical. But it's how was your performance? <laughs> and what was the motivation behind coming? And were you determined? Because I want to worship, I'm going to engage in these acts collectively with others. I, w I want to magnify God. So I'll say this also in regards to that. Worship is not just a feeling. Are feelings involved? Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> but sometimes, once again, it's kind of graded about what kind of feeling did you get from it? Did you come away sort of pumped up, excited type thing? I can recall in years gone by, a number of years ago, actually before I was a Christian, living in California, and I did the smorgasbord thing with religion. Went a little bit of here, there, and everywhere. And I can recall on certain occasions sitting, and they would have the best vocalist in the house come forward, turn the lights down low, and this guy had a very good voice. <laughs> and he would sing some well-known song. And it was, it was all kind of emotional. And a lot of folks would have to kind of dry a tear, you know, when it was over. Worship includes feelings, but it's, it's not just about feelings. So let me tell you what worship is. 1 John 4 and verse 19 says that we love Him because He loved us. Worship is a response. I respond to Him. He has shown His love for me. Finally, <laughs> I have realized that. And I want to respond. Once again, I want to bring your attention to the name of the Lord that is used here. And it says Lord and it says God. And during this kind of whole coronavirus thing, you recall the messages that I sent out in regards to the names of God. And one of those is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
That is Jehovah. That is Yahweh. That is the name that God uses so that we understand. He is the God of covenant love. Do we understand that? See, one of the ways in which Jesus and the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 5, had helped us to understand that, is he says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence, respect your husbands. And then at the conclusion of that section of Scripture, he said, This is a great mystery, but I speak in regards to Christ and the church. This is the kind of relationship this is. And that's what Psalms 100 is saying. This is the Lord. This is the God of covenant love. And you need to keep that in mind. He has shown His love for you, cares about you, wants to protect you. That's why He goes on to say that we are His people. (laughs) It's like a man saying, that's my wife. (laughs) Those are my people. And they are the sheep of my pasture. Those are mine. There's another name that I'm going to tell I'm going to just mention it today because I've got to keep moving. <laughs> There's another name I'll tell you about. That God is a jealous God. And we need to know that. When evil, Satan, people want to lure you away, he doesn't just throw up his hands. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> That's mine. You're not going to just walk off with it. Worship is a response. I respond to Him. Because I know Him. See, that's one of those four words that I told you about that's contained in this psalm. And that's what He wants us to do. He wants us to know Him. I say this all the time. Please take it in context. Oftentimes people do not fall in love with church. But you can fall in love with God. And you would be amazed what that does for church when people fall in love with God. And that's who we're supposed to fall in love with to begin with. But see, nowadays, they're trying to get people to fall in love with church. In other words, we provide this, or we do this, and it's kind of entertaining, it's kind of emotional. You missed the point. This is about falling in love with Him. And then when I fall in love with Him, when it comes time to worship, (laughs) I will shout, I will enter in joyfully, and I will come to be collected together with others who have that same desire. Worship is declaring worth and value. That's what you're saying about God. He has worth. He has value. I want to magnify Him. I want you to see how big this God is. And that He is worthy. He is worthy. People here this morning, some I know better than others. (laughs) I know. I love. I value, but I don't worship. Follow? 
but him. I'll worship. Jesus was asked on one occasion, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the first. And as Brian oftentimes said, and I'm picking on you this morning, Brian, <laughs> if you get that top button right, it'd be amazing what that does for your shirt, right? <laughs> it helps all those other buttons line up. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Get the top button right. Everything else starts to fall in line. I want to read to you from Isaiah right quick. Isaiah chapter 12. I'll begin at verse 4. It says, And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His deeds among the peoples. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion. Psalms 100. He says, All ye lands, all ye nations. And what the psalmist is showing is, this is not just the God of the Jews. This is not just the God of the Israelite nations. This is the God who has created us all. The one who wants to be in a covenant relationship with each one. And the language that is used there is similar to what's used in the beginning of Exodus, the 20th chapter, when the Ten Commandments are being delivered. And he says, I am the Lord, your God. And the word your is in the singular. He's not saying, I'm the God of Israel. He's saying, I'm the God of Moses. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Miriam. I'm the God of Aaron. And that's what the psalmist is saying. This is a personal God. So why do we worship? We worship because of who He is. That's why we worship. See, praise oftentimes can be connected to with what God does. Let me go back to Psalms. Psalms 100 and verse 3. I'm going to read this to you. Psalms 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We praise Him, certainly, because of what He does. He has created us. We have not created ourselves. And I praise Him for that and for His creation and for the sunshine and for the rain and for the bountiful harvest and all these things. But I worship Him because of who He is. He does those things because of who He is. 
Psalms 95, if we had time to take a look at that, you can on your own, show a number of statements in regards to the Lord. And in Psalms 95, it says, He is the Lord, the rock of our salvation. He is the Lord God, the one who made us and desires to be in that covenant relationship with us. He is the great God above all others from Psalm 95. He is to be praised as the creator of all things. He is our maker. And in verses 8 through 11 shows us that he's the God of history. He was there yesterday, he's there today, and he will be there tomorrow. We worship him because of who he is. And we worship him because of who we are. We are his creation. He made us. We are the sheep of his pasture. And sometimes people look at that word sheep and they think, well, that's kind of derogatory. (laughs) No, what we need to understand is that's like a metaphor. This is one who has created you. And sheep need someone to lead them. They need someone to feed them. They need someone to protect them. And he's saying, I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. I made you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I will care for you. That's what he's saying. That's why we worship. He knows me. He knows who I am. And he knows my needs. So as we worship, we magnify God. We understand that worship is not an event. And it's not just music. It's not a performance that we grade. It's not just a feeling. But we recognize who he is and we respond. And then those things become acts of worship. I worship him, therefore I engage in these things. And we are privileged to be in that kind of relationship with him. I'll say this, and I'm going to wrap this up. We do that corporately, that's, that's true. It's suggested in 100, stated more clearly in Psalms 95. And if you go down through Psalms 95, you see this repetitive phrase let us let us and so that's collective corporate type worship the apostle Paul over 1 Corinthians 11th chapter says first of all when you come together as a church you come together as a church Therefore, when you come together in one place, therefore, when you come together, wait on one another. Doesn't that kind of paint a picture? (laughs) It is collective. We have come together to worship. We're going to engage in these acts. I have become because I I have come because I want to worship. You come because you want to worship. And collectively, we are going to be engaged in these things. 
designed by God to magnify and glorify Him. And it's good for me. And I think that's the reason why I got received that text. I need me some worship. Recently, I'll leave it here. I was talking to someone and they said, uh, did you hear what governor so-and-so said? (laughs) And as it turned out, I had heard what governor so-and-so said. (laughs) This is a governor of a neighboring state. And it had been deemed by that governor and whoever she confides with that worship is non-essential. Non-essential. I thought, well, well, well. (laughs) But it kind of brought to mind something that I had read some time ago. In Chicago, there is a University of School of Divinity. And in the past, they've had a practice that in spring time of the year, I'm assuming it's toward the end of the semester or whatever, they will invite speakers to come. And these speakers that come aren't always faith-based type speakers. (laughs) And they'll have a large gathering and people will bring like a sack lunch and all this kind of thing and they will sit and they will listen they will allow this person to speak. And on this particular occasion, there was kind of a scholarly gentleman. He was a scholarly gentleman. They invited him to come. And on this particular occasion, he was speaking on why you shouldn't believe in the resurrection. And in a historical resurrection. And they said he went on for a little over two hours. So some of my sermons are short then, right? <laughs> he went on for over two hours quoting from various other scholars and quoting from various works of why church essentially was just kind of a lot of malarkey and that the resurrection wasn't factual and it shouldn't be believed and you shouldn't be following after Jesus and so it was just all kind of senseless but being the scholarly gentleman that he was when he concluded he said anybody got any questions well from the back since this was kind of open to the community and everybody. They said there was an old white-haired preacher. And he stood up, raised his hand, and, and, and was called on. He said, I'd like to ask a question. And someone said, yeah, go right ahead. He said, now, I haven't read all those books that you were talking about. And as he said that, they said he had an apple in his hand. (laughs) And he just took a bite out of that apple and he chomped on it for a second. And he said, I don't know all those fellows that you quoted from. 
And he took another bite. And then he said, but I got this one question. I said, well, well, go ahead. What's your question? He said, I just want you to tell me this apple that I'm eating. Is it sour or is it sweet? (laughs) And the fellow looked and kind of smirked a little bit. He said, I can't tell you. I've never tasted your apple. And the old man said, You've never You've never tasted my Jesus either. Non essential. Have you tasted forgiveness? Do you know what that does for people's lives? Have you tasted hope? And know what that does for people's futures? Have you tasted love, grace, mercy, and the joy that you know because he reigns. And I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Have you tasted that? I'd like to say, Governor, with all due respect, I don't think you've ever tasted my Jesus. Because if you have, you might see that difference. I need me some worship. That's it for that this morning. (laughs) If you're here and if we can help you in any way in your relationship with the Lord, and we want to say thanks again for being here. And we thank the Lord for who He is and the fact that He is designed (laughs) and planned that those who worship Him can come together and collectively offer up our worship to him. Imitation's yours. If we can help you in any way, if you need to make your relationship right, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.